2: Summer might still be upon us, but as far as we're concerned, fall is in the air. It is episode 282 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and this week we're going to be talking about Stump Town. That's right, the adaptation of the Oni Press series created by Greg Rocca and company. And going to talk to the cast. Greg himself going to be joining us as well. They joined me at San Diego Comic Con. Actually, going to find out all about the new show. And I mean, I got to tell you. This is one of those shows I've been waiting for for a long, long time. Now I can't wait to tell you all about it. Plus, gonna you heard me talk about Undone last week with Rosa Salazar and the creators gonna have my spoiler-ish review of that. Not too many spoilers since the show just came out, so I don't want to spoil too much there. Probably not a whole lot at all, actually. So I'll be looking for my review of that. A little bit later on in the show. But first, yeah, we're starting out with comics. Of course we are. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: My name is uh, Liam Sharp. I draw Wonder Woman. I co-founded Mayfire. And I'm a dear and close friend of the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: So what might you be adding to the long box or your digital library this week? Whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And how about this? Going to start things out... With another year of the villain title from DC Comics, this time one of my favorite Batman villains ever. I'm sure if you've listened to the show before, you know that it's the Riddler. So I, of course I'm going to read Year the Riddler Year of the Villain, right? Written by Mark Russell, Scott Godlewski on the on the art there, colors by Marissa Luis, Travis Lanham on the letters. Now, if you've been following Year of the Villain or, or any of the Justice League arc that's been going on at all at DC, you know that you've seen Apex Lex sort of have these godlike abilities now and is giving gifts to other villains to sort of make them stronger and and you know make this Legion of Doom sort of unstoppable in a way. Well there's not everybody has gotten their gifts, right? And the Riddler feels like, hey, you know, I'm I'm a legit villain. Why haven't I gotten my visit yet? And that's kind of what the theme of this book really is. So, you know, I expected this to be sort of Riddler's turn, right, when I was getting ready to read this story. But have you ever been given a gift by anyone, whether it be a friend, relative, or anything like that, but you had no idea what it was for at the time? Or if you'd ever even be able to use it, you're like, well, why am I getting this? And that's kind of how this story plays out. I mean, there's also, part of the story is there's a plot by the Riddler and another lower-level villain who you'll recognize, and it's kind of hilarious to see the two of them team up and that's kind of where Mark Russell does a great job at working comic relief into his stories, and that's where that sort of comes in here. So it was a nice back-and-forth pacing that was going on in this story. And, you know, the, course, the, the plot was to finally best Batman. And f- you figure out why neither one of them could ever do it sort of thing. So that, that was a nice little undercurrent story that goes on here. But really, the whole Riddler-Lex dynamic, was the main point of this story. And you know, Lex is very profound. So we get a couple of profound stories from Lex and some deep insight. This actually goes much deeper than I ever would have expected. This story did. Here's the deal. I really don't want to spoil the ending and I'm not going to, but I was intrigued. I was just as intrigued by it as I was bummed out by it. And now I, I you, you hear me say that and you think, well, so you didn't like it. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's actually a compliment, and I can't tell you why without spoiling it, but there, there's a reason I was bummed out, but it's not it's not because it was a bad book because it was actually I really enjoyed this book a lot. As, as a matter of fact, my intrigue kind of outweighs the bumming me out, because, you know, I see, I can't say it. I can't say it. I really, really want to, but I'm not gonna. And then I'm just if mark and, and the team, if you're listening. This is not a criticism of you at all. This is actually a, I can't wait to see what happens next, but there's something I'm going to miss. Huh? That's that's all I can say. Well, it's boiling anything, okay? And speaking of the, I want to bring up the art in this book for a second. I mean, it was it was definitely good. It wasn't blown away by it, but I was so distracted by what was going on with the story itself too, that I'm probably not really giving the art its due if I'm being honest, but I was just so taken in by the story itself and how things were un- unwrapping in this in the story and the lessons and the end result that that I think that that took so much of my attention and that could make this issue really a pivotal issue and a turning point story that someday we might look back on and go, "So wow, that was the point where this happened." And that's why you've got to read. The Riddler, Year of the Villain, from DC. You're going to want to pick this one up and read it, and you'll understand why I was intrigued and bummed out at the same time. It'll all make sense to you once you read the book, and you go, oh, that's what he was talking about. Here's something I thought was really, really interesting, and I wanted to talk about this week. You know, I thought about doing another Marvel title, but I decided to go with Pandemica number one from IDW, and that is from writer Jonathan Mayberry, who, of course, has had some titles on the New York Times bestseller list. You might remember his work. From V Wars, he's done some great novels and some other comics as well. Alex Sanchez on the art here. Jay Photos on the colors. And Sean Lee on the letters. Now, basically what's happening here is there are several pandemics that have struck several different parts of the world, but also seem to be targeting certain groups of people and ethnicities. Now, there's a man named Moses who believes that this is deliberate and will stop at nothing to find out who's behind it. Now... The story slow starts to slowly kind of branch out as different characters get added to both sides of this story. And as the reader, we kind of know at least part of what's going on from the very beginning of the book. And I mean like page one or two of this book. We see how things are, why things are happening and, and who's kind of behind it. And I'll get to the kind of part here in just a second. The why is still very much a mystery and part of the who is a mystery as well. You see the faces, you don't know who they are, really. There's a couple names that do get dropped and 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 they, of course, it's not names that you can recognize. This isn't like a true to life thing. But what this really boils down to this whole story is what can be proved and what and how can it be and how much time it will take. ...to prove it if they can at all. So there are some also interconnected pieces as far as characters go. And it seems like instead of giving us a backstory and then giving us the story... ...there's going to be a slowly trickling backstory that kind of plays out over the course of the story. And I actually think that that's an interesting tactic because you could really go either way there. You can either give me the backstory and then give me the current story... ...or give me part of the current story, then backstory, then more story... This one seems like it's going to sort of play out throughout the story, and I think that that's a good way to go because it keeps the pacing a little bit better in a book like this where your highlight item is what's going on, not who it's going on behind, if you catch my meaning there. there. There's also, I mean, the the art in this book is very gritty, and it really works with the way that the story is being told. It's got this edge to it that I really, really dig, and the main thing I was thinking when I was reading this book is not just how uncomfortable it is what's going on and how this is being distributed, and how these pandemics and these diseases are targeting certain ethnicities and groups of people. It's very, very unsettling in general, but it's scary to also think that this is something at least on a large on a larger scale to target anyone that could actually happen and think about how long it would take to actually prove that it was happening. That's the crazy thing is that you see what happens and you go, this could actually happen. And that is almost the scariest kind of horror at all. Although I'm not sure, this isn't really a horror book. It's definitely more of a thriller, more of a, like a political intrigue type of thing, but with some scientific aspects and certainly some medical aspects mixed in there as well. So while There was definitely times where this was an uncomfortable read. There's a great story going on here. You know both sides of what's going on. But there's still plenty of mystery that goes along with it as well. So I'm going to put this in the poll box. I'm going to make this a poll for me anyway. And I'll be very interested to see how this story plays out into its second and third issues. It looks like there might be a little bit of a time jump in the second issue as well. So hopefully we'll see how those gaps get filled in. It's going to do it for what we're reading up next. It's time to get Undone and my thoughts on the Amazon Studios series in Rotoscope up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Hey, this is Drew Powell from Gotham on Fox. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: It feels like we've been here before. We kind of have, but this time we are going to unravel the time and space that is Amazon Studios Undone, which you can watch right now on Amazon Prime Video, Rosa Salazar, starring there. You heard from her last week on the podcast. You also heard from series creators, Rafael Bob Waksberg and Kate Purdy about this amazing show that kind of bends time and reality and also talks a lot about mental health. And basically, what you have here is a story that very much feels real in every sense it's except for when you get to the mind altering, I can see my dead father stuff, because that enters a completely different realm that actually they kind of try to explain it scientifically because that's what almost dad was working on before he died, was trying to figure out if, you know, time travel was possible and how you can bend realities and stuff like that. He was a professor. And he was actually working on this at the time of his death. And you kind of they, they kind of get into that. And, of course, he wants Alma to find out who was behind his death and to t- possibly try and bring him back. That's part of the premise of this series and how she unlocks these abilities. You've seen that in the trailer. You heard her talking about it last week on the show. I really encourage you to go back and listen to the interviews if you haven't already. If you're at all intrigued about this show... You're definitely going to want to go back and listen to those interviews. But I got to watch the first five episodes of the show early. And one thing I love, first of all, is that you're, you're talking about 20, 30 minute episodes here. So you're going to get through them very, very quickly. Everything happens really fast. But at the same time, what this really dives into is that there are so many parts of our life that we don't even examine because we sort of just go through it. And how that affects your, everyone's mental health differently and the things that we've been through personally in our lives is something that we either deeply examine or just go through because we're going through it. It's it's hard to explain because I think it's different for everybody when you watch this show and that's one of the things that I thought was most intriguing about it, just at the base of it, without even getting into the science and, or science fiction aspects, however you want to look at it, is that... How everyone looks at their everyday lives and how you go through your everyday life really is viewed differently by you or someone else as it pertains to your own life. And maybe that seems like really deep and you think I'm getting out there, right? But this show really makes you examine certain things about maybe what's going on in your own life and how this person might view their version of their life and how you might take a look at your. It's very, very deep in that regard and then you get into you know how the family reacts and how the family dynamic is like like Becca's I mean excuse me Alma's relationship with her sister Becca and and her mother and how everything's so secretive around her father's death and even part of her father's life and then she also has a boyfriend named Sam and how it's very interesting how you have a certain perception of characters and even certain perceptions of people in your own lives. And you're not really sure what they might be capable of until you get a peek behind the curtain. And that's a peek behind the curtain as people we don't always get about, you know, people that are in our lives, right? But as viewers of a show, you get to see how this plays out in almost life. And you get to see these people in her life and how they do certain things where like, for example, there's something that Sam does in this show and you're like, wow, I, I didn't see that coming. And every little thing matters in this show too, by the way, and everything, there are certain things where you have, this is one of those shows you have to pay attention to details. And if it seems like they're giving you too much information at the time, it's something that you're going to want to remember because it'll make sense coming up in the show at some point. And this is me trying not to spoil at this point. There's something in the show where you're like, why do they, where I'm like, why do they keep talking about this? Why do they keep focusing on this? Until that light bulb goes off over your head, you get a piece of information in the show and you go, oh, that's why they were talking about it. And then now it all makes sense. And you feel like, oh, so they were hammering that point in for a reason. So then that made me pay even more attention as I kept watching the show. So, This show really, really brings you in and draws you in to what's going on. And again, as far as the animation style is concerned in this rotoscoping, it's some of the most beautiful animation I think I've ever seen. And to be able to get inside Alma's mind and get to see what's going on with her dad, Jacob, who is played by Bob Odenkirk, who just does a fantastic job in this show. Let me tell you, I mean, Rosa Salazar... Definitely gets a gold star for this, but Bob Odenkirk also did a fantastic job in the episodes that I've seen anyway of this show. So when you get to see all this mind-bending reality stuff and these abilities that Alma has unlocked in herself, first of all, and they also explain how it makes sense and how it's connected to something from the past and her family too as well. So this is not just something that's come out of nowhere. And this, this show does a really good job of explaining everything that it can as it goes along, but still keeping that intrigue of, well, we still don't know about this yet. But, but, but once we start getting the reality bending stuff, that's when the rotoscoping really comes in handy because it allows you to, instead of talking about something, you get to visualize it. And I think that was one of the things that was brought up in the interviews as well. So You get to see how, when almost experiencing what she's experiencing, what's happening inside her mind and through her eyes, almost, too, which is super interesting. And then you go back to the other people in her life who are experiencing this differently and not understanding what's going on with her, and it's not like she can exactly tell them, right? So it almost is like a, here's what's happening to her, and here's a real-life way that someone might respond to this and and i love that this show always even when it is in its craziest scenes right out there literally floating in space and time which you saw in the trailer so that's not a spoiler when you're literally floating out there you it immediately or i should say at some point gets pulled back into the reality of what's going on with you sort of thing so and then and there are natural reactions there on both sides that seem very, very genuine. And that is one of the things that I love about the show. And this is, is that this show is so genuine in every moment that it gives you and how there's twists and turns in life and in these crazy things that you never know might be possible. And then that is all wrapped around the mystery of what happens in with Alma's father and is she going to be able to bring him back is she going to be able to find out what happened to him because he can't do it and then you've got what's going on with her boyfriend what's going on with her sister and her stuff that's going on in her sister's life and how much does the mother know and was there something more going on with dad than meets the eye there's so many questions that get brought up in this and as you hear me talking about this you might be thinking wow that that's there's a lot going on there it seems really cluttered guess what Absolutely not cluttered at all. The, these things all balance each other out. It's like when you start, if you if you had these tipping scales, and you know in science class you experience this at one point or another, and you start setting all the stuff on one side of the scale first, right? You, one side of the scale definitely looks like it's getting weighed down, and then you think, oh, I I need to put some other stuff over here to 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 not make this side so weighed down. That's what this show does really well, where it seems like it's giving you a lot at, at once, and then it starts slowly stacking things on the other side, and it all evens out, eventually. And that is one of the beautiful things about Undone from Amazon Studios. And there are times where it looks so gorgeous that I can't tell if I'm watching a live action series or an animated series. There are a few, there are definitely a few scenes there where I have no idea if it's live action or animation. And it is animation, but these these oil-painted scene this oil-painted scenery that you get, it's just so appealing to look at. And and it and the way that this is shot allows the emotion and just raw ability of live action to be brought into an animated series like this. And it just takes it to this other level that, and that was my expectation for this going in. And I thought I'd hype this up too much for myself. I thought I might end up being disappointed because I'd seen the trailers and I'd talked to the creators and, and Rosa about this. And, and I really had this hyped up even before I talked to them. And then I brought it to another level after the fact, I'm thinking, I hope I'm not hyping this too much. So I'll be, I don't want to be disappointed when I actually see this but as ordinary as this show can be at times and that you're experiencing someone's life basically and that's what drama is all about. That's That's one of the things we love about dramas in general, right? Then you add this extra normal aspect to it and the way it balances each other out and the way it draws you into Alma's character even more and draws you into the mystery but also into her everyday life is something that, that is the picture that's being painted that you're not seeing physically on the screen. That's the picture that's being painted by the creators. That is the picture that's being created by Walksburg and by Purdy. That is just so, so amazing. And the way that they go about the mental health aspect of this, too, is just absolutely fantastic and the way every it seems like every little detail was thought of and at least worked into the story at a certain point so if you have not watched undone on amazon prime video yet you absolutely positively have to give this show a chance you will not be sorry that you did and there's so much depth there Keep pushing through all of these episodes. Binge watch this. You will not be sorry that you watched this show from start to finish. It's a quick watch. And it's something that I really, really hope we get to see more of past what we've seen already. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish kind of free review of Amazon's Undone. Up next, yep, there's some nerd news to talk about. Yet another subscription service. Yeah, we'll get into that on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleepwave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode, so search Sleepwave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice.
1: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, Whatever podcasts are available. This is Jason Lyles from Rampage the Movie, and you're listening to the Down
2: and Nerdy Podcast. Seems like there's no galaxy this guy hasn't been to, and he's about to add a bit more. It's time for nerd news. And I'm talking about JJ Abrams because it's been kind of a big week for him. He just signed a multi-year deal with Warner Media to produce digital stuff. We're talking about games, TV shows, feature films, basically everything. It's its kind of, according to the Hollywood Reporter who first broke the story, it's the first time that his Bad Robot productions are kind of all under the same umbrella, and that's with WarnerMedia. And of course, his wife and co-CEO of Bad Robot, Katie McGrath, is going along as well. Now, I'm not going to get into the the money aspect of the deal. I mean, it was a, it was a big deal, and it was certainly a bidding war between Warner Media and you know pretty much everybody else at this point. And it seems like JJ's kind of worked for everybody, right? He's done some stuff for Disney, he's done some stuff for Paramount, he's done some stuff on TV for Fox and ABC. There's there's a lot of stuff that JJ Abrams has done, and that's one of the reasons. And I know that I, I, personally, I'm a fan of JJ Abrams. I always have been. I've always enjoyed most of the stuff that he's done. It's hard to enjoy absolutely everything somebody's done, right? But at the same time, I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. And that's one of the reasons that you want to get a guy like this, a guy that can go from doing something like Lost to doing Star Wars, but also doing Star Trek. And then you've also got Fringe and all of these other things that he's done. When you've got a mind that can just create stuff, like that you you don't know what what's going to happen the sky's the limit for stuff like from somebody like J.J. Abrams you don't know what you're going to be getting and and, you know not everything was a hit like I loved Almost Human but obviously not everybody else did because the show got canceled after a season and and the same with a lot of shows and and some movies even that J.J. Abrams is a part of that just weren't hit, but you know what? I loved Alias and I realized that was what, thirteen years ago since that show ended? But at the same time, he's created so many things that so many people have loved that how do you not do this if you're Warner Media when you're trying to compete with something like Disney Plus that's gonna be coming? You know, even even Apple TV Plus, which I'm gonna talk about here in a couple minutes in one of their trailers that they had. There's so much competition across the board not just with movies but with TV and now streaming and there's all these different entities that don't seem like they're different but they are and you get a guy like JJ Abrams who's had his hand in pretty much all of it at one point or another right he's done every aspect of these things and done it successfully at least once in almost every in almost all of these things so why not go out and get a guy like this and spend the money necessary to do this. Now, the speculation runs rampant. Does this mean he's going to be attached to the DC immediately and or is he going to handle the Green Lantern movies? And all, this, all these rumors, right? There there's so many rumors that automatically started to fly. I even think we could see him write a DC comic or two at some point. I don't know how this affects, you know, what's the deals that he already has with Marvel and and some other stuff that he's already got going on, but you you would think that if you've got a guy like J.J. Abrams, you want to use him as much as you can, right? You don't want to overdo it either. You don't want J.J. to be doing absolutely everything. But at the same time, you, you want to get your money's worth, right? And you want to see what creative ideas are out there. Now, it seems like there is a lean towards original content here for sure. And that's certainly not a bad thing. I think the more original content that you can get on any screen, the better. But just don't be surprised if J.J. Abrams starts taking the reins of certain licensed properties as well. I could see him doing something with with a, with a Green Lantern. I could see him doing something with Superman, too, as a matter of fact. He's just not afraid to tackle these projects. And whether you like what he's doing with Star Wars, whether you like what he's done with Star Trek, there's a fearlessness to what J.J. Abrams does and that he's not afraid to tackle projects like this and take risks and sometimes they work out. For a large group of fans and sometimes they don't but you're always going to have that group that's going to love what you do or hate what you do but no matter what there's a lot of people talking about what jj abrams is doing and that's one of the things that warner media really needs right now they need especially when it comes to their upcoming streaming service and again i won't get into price point with that either but they're about to have some heavy competition coming up why not have a guy like jj abrams that you can bring out on that stage and be like here's our guy Here's what we've got coming from him and I think that and this is just purely speculation on my part that when we do find out what's coming to the Warner Media streaming service and there's been some things announced already but when we get the big reveal when we find out everything about it right we're going to find we're going to hear something that's coming from JJ Abrams and I think that this is going to be one of those big name things that they're going to go for Speaking of big names Targaryen, kind of a big name amongst Game of Thrones fans, right? Well, now there is a new speculation on a prequel series that is based on the House of Targaryen. Now, this is according to Deadline, and of course HBO is not going to comment. Of course, nobody's going to comment on the fact that this is a prequel series that would supposedly be set 300 years before the events of the most recent Game of Thrones series. So I guess you're talking about what, like the great, great, grandmother of dragons or the great 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 grandmother i don't know but this would deal with how the house of targaryen kind of ended or the beginning of the end anyway and so supposedly george r r martin is going to be on board with this and why wouldn't he be and ryan conlon who is the co-creator of colony if you remember that show on usa and apparently loosely based on fire and blood but it's funny because the report also says that, yeah, it's going to be based off, possibly based off of fire, fire and Blood, but it'll be a unique take on the story. So is it based on it, or is it a unique take on the story? Because those are kind of two different things, right? Like, I think the Game of Thrones fans would certainly say that what just happened was a unique take on the story. Whether that was a good thing or not is up to, up for debate, depending on how you look at it. But, you know, unique take on the story, that's something that's, that could really scare the hell out of you. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, so is the, after what just happened, are you kind of leery of anything that could have a unique take? Although, when you're going back that far, it kind of it would have to be, wouldn't it? That Like the other prequel series they're talking about is almost like 300 years in the past. So it's almost it's like it's not even the same show. I mean, it's loosely connected, sure. But when you're going back that far, when you're going back literally centuries, it's really hard to keep that connection even with the giant world that has been built here by George R. R. Martin and company. So, I mean, if they want to do it, I'm interested. I'm down. I would certainly love to see how this plays out. I mean, I, I the House of Targaryen certainly has a lot of different things, and they would certainly introduce some things in that final season that opened the door for a lot of storytelling. So I'm interested to see how this might play out, and, and I think this is as good, good an idea for a prequel series as any that they, that they could possibly have. And it's certainly a name that people know, and people will watch names that they know. That is one thing that I, that I never lose sight of, is that if there's a name that fans recognize, they'll at least watch the first episode based on name recognition alone. So we'll see how it goes and see if this actually gets confirmed at some point. Speaking of sight, in case you missed the big Apple TV Plus presentation, the Apple event this week, C was one of the original series that they are going to be putting on their streaming service, and that's going to start on November the first. And it's a, and it's a show that stars Jason Momoa, where basically the mankind has gotten to the point where they've lost sight, literally. They're, it's mankind has been blinded, and they talk about the reasons for that. In the trailer, you know what was it? Was it God punishing them or things like that? But then you find out that there are these babies that are born and they can see, and it's Jason Momoa's children that can actually see. And then you're like, oh, is this a blessing? Is this a curse? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And then you've got this, the, you know, this spreads throughout the land, and all of a sudden, you know, it's bring me the child of S- the children of sight. So you've got these factions now that are going to try and take control of these children. And you, if you know, Jason Momoa, yeah, that's not going to go over very well. It's not, you're not just going to take my kids. Plus he's walking around with like the biggest meat cleaver I've ever seen in my entire life. I know that he can't see it, but I see it and it's huge. And if anybody else could see it, it would be terrifying. And they probably wouldn't want to mess with his kids anyway, but they're blind. So they have no idea. It's really interesting though. in that much like a quiet place, when you had almost no sound whatsoever, at least no talking, right? And everything was based on every little bit of sound, right? And when you're talking about the loss of sight, I think sound is going to play a big factor in this series. And I think that's going to be really, really cool to see how that gets brought out. You kind of see little bits and pieces and teases of that in this trailer. So I think that that could be a neat part of it. Plus, just how you go about the world. Imagine, you know, have you ever walked around like in your bedroom in the dark, like completely pitch black and try to get her? I can't tell you how many times I've stubbed my toe on that, on the end of my bed, which is like stubbing my toe on a brick wall for some reason. You know, you take, you take sight for granted when you have it. Right. And then there's these few times that you don't, when you're like, how would I function? without it. And these people have functioned without it for years, it seems like. And it's something that they adapted to. So that's a fascinating story in itself. But then you bring into the fact that there's now children that have the ability of sight. And not only these factions that are going to war over these children or try to take the children, you've got people within Jason Momoa's own group that's like, hey, if we give them the kids, they'll leave us alone. Right? So you've got your own people. Potentially going against you as well. And there's a mutiny aspect there as well. So there's a multi-layered story, which seems like it's being brought out in C from Apple TV Plus. I can't wait to see how this plays out. Quite frankly, I mean, I don't know. I know the price point for this is going to be again pretty low, and I think at this point, isn't everybody's strategy for their new streaming service to be like, hey, let's just be way cheaper than Netflix? It seems like that's the that's the strategy at this point. Let's just bury Netflix. By being cheaper than they are. And it seems like that's the way things are going to go. And, and the large investment in original programming, which is what got Netflix in trouble in the first place, by the way. So I'll, I'll be curious to see how this plays out for some of these new streaming services in the short term. But I'm not going to go down that road. We're talking about C. We'll do, I'll do a larger talk about these streaming services once they get launched and once, th- once things get rolling, rolling a little bit. But I'm very interested to find out where this story is going to go. There is one story that you should be very familiar with because I've talked about it here on the show, not just in reviews, but talking to the co-creator as well. That's right, Harrow County from Dark Horse Comics is back. I mean, kind of. Multiversity Comics actually had some great interviews with uh, with the creators, Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook, about the return of Harrow County. As a matter of fact, the return story is going to be called Tales from Harrow County Death's Choir. And basically it's 10 years after Emmy has exited Harrow County. Now Bernice is still there and she's kind of the steward of the supernatural home. Now, if you look at the cover, Bernice has grown up, that's for sure. And we're talking about World War, World War II era now in Harrow County, and you've got young men leaving, and the community is kind of more vulnerable than ever. And a ghostly choir heralds the resurrection of the dead, and Bernice is supposed to find a solution to that. So, how Bernice does without Emmy will be really interesting in this story, and how how will the story age ten years later? That's one thing I find very very interesting is this time jump. How does this age? Not just the town itself, but visually from the from the art aspect. How do you age this town up? How do you age this world up? Obviously, you see how you age Bernice up because Bernice is right there in front of you on the cover. So you, you get that aspect of it. But at the same time, I think it's going to be really cool to see where this goes. And then you're bringing in a new illustrator as well. And now my friend Quiz, who's going to be very much a big part of what goes on in the story. And, and when you got somebody like Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook who worked together so hard in the 30-plus issues of the original story, when you bring somebody new into the anytime you bring somebody new into the fold, it changes the dynamic just a little bit, especially the way they worked so well together. But from what I've seen so far, it's going to be pretty seamless. And according to the interview with Multiversity Comics, this is not going to be the only Harrow County story that we get. So we might not have any news about the TV series, the ad- or the screen adaptation that we're supposed to be getting that's been, seems like, in development hell for years. But at least we do have some new Harrow County stories coming back, and I'm loving that. That's going to do it for Nerd News this week. Up next, time to head to Stumptown. Let's take a trip to Portland with the cast and producers and creator of ABC Stumptown next on the Down and Nerdy podcast.
1: Hi, this is Greg Rucka, comic book writer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy
0: Podcast.
2: Consider this the start of our fall 2019 TV preview. That's right, going to talk to the cast and creator and producers of ABC Stumptown, which premieres September the 25th. That's a Wednesday at 10 p.m. on ABC. And first up, as a matter of fact... Was the show and graphic novels creator Greg Rucka, also producer, Tantu Cardinal, who plays Sue Lynn, and Adrian Martinez, who plays Tukey. The first question for them was, what sets Stumptown apart from other female cop-type dramas? And I love Greg's answer.
1: It's not a female cop-type drama. It is a story that follows a pretty complex hot mess of a woman. Uh, who's sort of built on the best private investigator principles in that she is the best person in her world and a good enough person for any world so she may blow her disability check at a craps table um but her heart is never not in the right place. Um, I think one of the things that separates this from a lot of. Say it. Uh, a lot of the poorer representations of, quote, strong women is that there's no. There's no gimmick. She's a person, right? And to say, well, that makes it. And as a person, she's a strong person. She's also a woman. She's also a vet, right? She also is dealing with a number of emotional issues and addictions. She also loves her brother. She also has a very difficult relationship you know, with Su Lin. I mean, it goes on and on. So, and, and, and that complexity is reflected in the relationships around her. It's not one way. Um, and, and it's not a mirror. Everybody, everybody is playing off of each other with their own issues and own agendas. Uh, uh, you know, you meet Tukey in the first episode, and it is very easy to see him... You know, as Adrian himself says, he's kind of the guardian angel. But there's more going on there. You meet Sue Lin in the first episode. It's real easy to look at Sue Lin and go, okay, she's, she's a hard ass. And again, immediate assessment? Not incorrect. Hell of a lot more in, informing that behind it. Um, you know, and when you ask yourself why these characters are doing these things, why they are the way they are across the board. I think you you find yourself in an interesting, and different place because one of the things I think Jason Richmond, who's uh, he, the showrunner, the guy is he's driving this. He's so good at being, I think, very fair and honest so you know we, it, it's fiction right we're telling stories they are designed to be entertaining but the connectivity with it is that these people are absolutely believable and and while they not may not be sincere people they are honest they they are they are understandable
2: This next question was actually ad- addressed to Tantu and Adrian and it was how do you interpret your characters
4: I'm still learning um, about. The death. Um, I, I have a sense of her, I have a feeling of her, I have met her many, many times in on my path in my community. And um, Really, I'm I'm very excited to see what the stories are going to be and what more of Sue Lin are we going to see.
1: And for me, I think that Tookie just really loves Dex as a big brother does. I I see him as her guardian angel. Like When things are going crazy and I feel she's going over the top, I try to tell her, listen, be careful. The devil's everywhere. you got to watch yourself here. And so I I just, to be honest, I had never seen Kobe's work. I hadn't seen how I met your mother or your interesting work and i just met her on the pilot and i just felt this real immediate connection with her in a way you can't explain and i'm just gonna use that as my base as 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 a guy who who loves his sister and is looking after her and i feel for me that's the emotional hook
2: next up was the lovely kobe smolders who plays dex and executive producer jason richmond and the first question for them was what was your introduction to Dex, and how did you feel about the character?
0: My, you know, I read the script first, the pilot script, and then I went, this is based off of a graphic novel, what's the graphic novel? And then I read, uh, I read the four that he wrote, and um, it really sold me on the project, because I could get from the graphic novels so clearly what this world was. How this character moves in that world, and and the other characters that are involved, and um, it's just really cool. I mean, I'm I'm very lucky because you know, as an actor, you don't very often get the opportunity to you know. Say a joke, punch a guy in the face, and then do a crazy dramatic scene about loss. Like you don't get to do that all in an episode. That is—it's a very rare thing to be um, involved with something where you're playing all of these different notes. Um, it very rarely comes along. So I'm really excited about exploring them. We're very—you know—at the beginning, beginning stages, um, but are building on what we established in our pilot, which is—you know—this this group of misfits living in porn. Portland, all sort of trying to get along
2: this question was actually addressed to kobe but you hear jason jump in as well how complicated will dex's relationships be on the show
0: I we're at this place where we are with this character of of dex i think she's completely incapable of a relationship so obviously that complicates the situation when people are you know if we're talking about the triangle between um detective hoffman myself and gray um the relationship with gray is that we we came up together we grew up together. Um, He is amazingly helpful um, with raising my brother, which I've been sort of saddled with. And um, that is sort of, has a weird emotional history. But the current one with Hoffman, I just feel like she's not able to commit to anything. She's not able to commit to anything in her life. We're just starting her on this path of being a private investigator. And it's the first thing that she's probably ever tried to commit to since she went into the military. Military.
1: And I think it's important to say that you know the character isn't defined by those male relationships and it's definitely not something she's seeking out. I think it's an aspect of her life, but it's really a show that kind of explores her character going through an existential crisis, dealing with coming, trying to reconcile her PTSD and kind of figuring out who she wants, her, what she wants her life to be. And these two guys are an element of that, but to Kobe's statement, yeah, she's it's, she's not ready. She's just a person trying to fix herself first.
2: There's probably a lot of things to love about playing Dex on Stumptown, but the question for Kobe Smolders was, what was your favorite thing about playing her?
0: There's something really interesting, and, and we did it a few times in the pilot where like, she. she She's on the edge, and she doesn't know. Uh, you know, when we're when she's dealing with her PTSD, there's like a she's very unhinged, and I. I love playing somebody who's in that place and playing out how they, they come back um, and, and ground themselves again and who they need to do that. That was really fun to play. I also really like pretending to be drunk. <laughs> I really enjoy it. I don't, you know, I'm not a big drinker uh, anymore. You know, in my youth, I, I definitely am pulling from experiences. But, but there's just something that's like so, it's just such a fun thing to play somebody who's like always going out, who's kind of roaming from one thing to the next, who's just kind of She's untethered and she the one thing that she's holding on to is really this relationship that she has with her brother and if if that was in her in her life, who knows where this woman would be? Who knows where she would be? She'd be roaming around somewhere, but because she has this this boy in her life to take care of and to have him take care of her, it's it's it, it grounds her back and, and brings her back on the edge.
2: The show certainly gets pretty serious at times, so my question for the two of them was in a show that is so deep. How great is it to also bring out that fun aspect of your character? In a show that has a lot of deep stuff going on, how good is it to start with that fun aspect of that character to be able to bring out every night and kind of lighten things up a little bit? Well, it's
0: wonderful because like in life, there could be falling apart around you, but you don't act like it, you know? I think it's very true, true to life. You know, you might, you might be a mess, but you're not going to tell anyone that you are and you're not going to admit to that. Um, so I think that plays, plays into it. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that is the, the joy of shooting or pretending to shoot this, that it's based in Portland, um, that we get to bring in all of these characters that are unlike characters you normally see on TV. The bad guy is not going to look like your average bad guy. Um, if you saw them walking down the street, that's not how you would peg them. So um, there, there's definitely comedic moments with, with guest stars, but also within it, you know, we're all just trying to survive. And within that, you got to laugh.
2: Right, definitely. You gotta keep going on next to sit down and talk about stump town was jake johnson who plays gray mcconnell and cole sibbis who plays ansel perios my question was for jake and it was your character and Dax are very close so how complicated is that relationship. You and Dex are kind of close, but how complicated is that relationship really? I think from what I understand and I'm new to it,
3: the thing that I was pitched is that it'll be very complicated. That I think that when you first meet there was a spark at time there was a spark at one point. But the relationship is way now more for Gray, his affection and care for Cole's character, Ansel, and this friendship, and making sure that, you know, Ansel's having a good day too. And so it's the, it's a triangle between them three as well.
2: Next question for the gods was, hey, how did your two characters actually become friends? you know how we got to be friends? I a
5: like bar. Yes. For sure, because he, he works in a bar and he asked me to be in a bar with him. That's right. And. Me and Dad are brother sister, and the only one who is in, the, in, in the employee. But, and he asked me to be an employee yeah. in, um, in the bar.
2: And finally, the question for Jake Johnson and Cole Sibis was, what was it that drew you to your characters and just the show in general?
3: The character is at this point pretty soft and pretty underwritten, and it's the promise of what's to come. But I liked all the ingredients of this soup. Uh, I think Kobe is awesome. I think she's, apart from being a wild talent, her reputation of being like one of the kindest people in our industry precedes her. Uh, Dave Burnett, our producer, pitched me, he promised me on his word that this show is going to be wildly ambitious in tone and, you know, in texture. you know, you're going to have to gamble at some point. you got to throw your chips on the table. So it all seemed like, let's do it now. What, what made you like your character?
5: The other the same thing because I love playing soccer. For in real life, I play soccer. And for this character, I play soccer too. Yeah, the same thing.
2: I was really looking forward to sitting down with Cameron Mannheim, who plays Lieutenant Cosgrove, and Michael Ealy. We'll play detective Miles Hoffman to talk about Stumptown. And the first question for them, and it's a really long answer, but it's a good one, was, what was the most appealing thing to you about this show, Stumptown?
3: A graphic novel um,
5: set up a world that I hadn't seen before. Right. So um, typically, you read a pilot and you can tell, okay, this is this is Grey's Anatomy, but different. <laughs> or this is you know, Hill Street Blues, but different. You can tell. Um, This one, because it's set in the world of Stumptown, the graphic novel, and Portland is kind of a mystery to a lot of people. Like, a lot of people have heard of Portland, but nobody really knows it unless you've actually lived there. And the people there are pretty proud of that. I think you know, it sets up kind of a mysterious character that's the city and at the same time, because it's a graphic novel, you know you're not going to see the standard fare that takes place in this city.
4: Well it starts obviously with the script. The script is fantastic and then we did have the graphic novel to kind of cross-reference and it brings in this dark, rich world. And then, well, mostly for me, it was that there are these really powerful female characters that we never get to see all in one show. We see one in one and one in another but to have three, to have you know, Tantu Cardinal, who is
1: boss. fierce,
4: and the she is the boss. You know, Dex might think she's the boss. I might think I'm the, you know, police lieutenant. That lady, you know, has got the Pacific Northwest covered. You know, <laughs> so, for me, that is just uh, it was a real draw to see complex female characters who are real badasses and who are making changes. You know, across the across the board, um, but mostly what drew me to the to the show is that it's not just about stories, it's about people and real people and flawed people and really screwed up people and you love them because they, uh, they mimic some stuff in your own life and you hate them because, you know for the same reasons, but I feel like if we can give these characters honorable and honest voices I think we're set because the backdrop and the storylines are you know sensational.
5: And when you get it, you get you, you read the we all got to read the graphic novel first so you can kind of see what this world looks like. And I gotta give credit to both Greg Rucker and ABC and the creator for kind of diversifying this cast in such a way. That it can be representative of everyone. I mean, everyone is pretty much covered in this. You know what I mean? Like this show, and we'll have we'll have characters that come on for an episode or two that intensify the diversity of this show, so it feels tangible to people everywhere.
4: It does not feel like a primetime show. It feels like a, you know a cable or streaming, streaming show because show. it's like we're. We're breaking a lot of rules, and it's super dark, gritty, scrappy, all those things, but... I don't know. I'm very excited about it. I, yeah. I, I rarely just read a script from start to finish and go, I'm in. I, I, honestly, I had, a, a, I had a, a creative meeting with the producers after they asked me if I would do it. And I had one issue and one issue only. And they're like, that's it? And I'm like, yeah, you cannot call me the name in the script. I just cannot have a horrible name one more time. First of all, let me just preface this by saying I was on the practice for eight years. My name was Eleanor Frett. Not yeah. even my own cast members yeah, got not, that right. Through it, through. And then I got the script, and my character's name was Roberta Volk. And I'm like, I'll do it, but I will not do it under that name. I didn't have the balls to do something about it when I got that first job with David Kelly, but I have them now, and I'm not going under that name. I gave them a bunch of ideas from my son's school directory. They picked one. I'm now Bobby Grove. Don't forget it.
2: Final question, and I love this one, too, is how would you all describe Dex? Listen to this. She
4: is so... Compromised in so many ways, but you root for her all the time, even though she does the most outrageous things that are not cool. She's not, not cool. A catch. I, think, I think that should be her like life. She's not, not a, catch. a catch because
5: oftentimes we're thrown, these female characters. They're you know they're they're kind of drawn in this way in which it's like oh they have to be able to attract a husband. Yeah. She's like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Uh, yeah, no. it out. you you know you're gonna that. you're gonna you know be attracted to her because she's dangerous but you are not gonna be attracted to her because she's safe she is not a safe human and me personally I see her as a threat because I think she's coming in to mess up my operation by you know hey, you're hey, messing it up hey. she's not coming in um, but uh, she also she also adds some very important yeah some very important information so what are you gonna do it's complicated i don't like her and i kind of need her and i respect her but she's uh intolerable
2: what can i say i really in my soul feel like Stumptown is just going to be a different kind of show and and this was what was talked about by a lot of the cast members that this is not these are not cookie cutter characters these are not characters that you're going to see every day in, in in everyday situations, and everything about this just had a very refreshing vibe to them. And if it was refreshing to them, imagine doing as many shows and movies as they've done in the past. So if they say it's refreshing to them, man, it's got to be super refreshing. So I can't wait to walk. I can't wait to watch Stumptown on Wednesday, every Wednesday, starting September 25th at 10 o'clock on ABC. I've been looking forward to this adaptation. For a long time, and I'm definitely thinking that it is going to live up to the hype. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the folks at ABC and everybody involved in Stumptown with letting me sit down with them at San Diego Comic-Con this past year. If you want more coverage of interviews, either from San Diego Comic-Con or other interviews that I've done, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. They're all up there. As a matter of fact, you can also follow on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com slash down and nerdy. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.